Hello, I'm Will Murphy, and welcome to Profiles from WFIU. On Profiles, we talk to notable artists, scholars, and writers, and get to know the person behind the persona. Our guest today is John Weichardt of Ivy Tech, and as we do this interview, soon to be of the city of Bloomington. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, as we start our conversation today, let's begin with this transition that's taking place uh, as we do this interview. You're about to retire from Ivy Tech after a long career there and uh, start a tenure, uh, an official tenure with the city of Bloomington. As you look back at your time at Ivy Tech, what are you most proud of? Oh, gosh. Um, I've been with the college. I'm in my 23rd year and um, uh, in my 13th year as chancellor here at the Bloomington campus. And you know, I've watched the, the literally the transformation of the institution from a vocational technical school to a, a truly comprehensive community college on our Bloomington campus. Um, we've made such tremendous strides in our relationship with Indiana University Bloomington. Uh, wonderful relationships that uh, uh, began being developed uh, with Sharon Brem when she was chancellor, uh, with Ken Gross Lewis when he returned. Uh, to that position in uh, 2003, I believe it was. And we've accomplished so much in terms of creating opportunities for uh, our students uh, from both institutions uh, to transfer seamlessly back and forth uh, to earn um, Ivy Tech credit that can be applied at the university uh, for students to come to Bloomington. And our Ivy Tech campus has become a magnet campus in our system. We've had, uh, in fact, this year we have students from uh, 74 of Indiana's 92 counties who are actually living here in Bloomington and enrolled at Ivy Tech, and, and uh, their goal is, is their transfer bound. Uh, the number of guest students we have every year, numbers in the thousands, uh, IU students who come over and take courses from us that, uh, that, that will transfer back. So those opportunities for, uh, for students uh, certainly have been um, a, a highlight I would look back on my time here and the relationships I've had with administrators and faculty uh, on the IU Bloomington campus, people like Barb Bickelmeyer, uh, uh, J.T. Forbes, who was so instrumental in helping us forge the transfer agreements with the university. Uh, as I said, Ken Gross-Lewis, I can't say enough about Ken Gross-Lewis and my relationship with him and what an honor it's been to get to know him professionally and, uh, and, and now as a friend. Uh, and then I think, you know, as, as we talk about uh, uh, community, our involvement in the community through our civic engagement goal on our campus, uh, our O'Bannon Institute for Community Service, uh, the, the Ivy Tech John Waldron Arts Center, uh, the transfer of that, that property. And well, you were in a different position at the time as we worked through that. Uh, you know, they're all things of, of which I'm very proud, I'm, but I'm very proud of the efforts of the, of the faculty and staff at the campus who have made those things possible. You, you spoke about uh, the change in the, the role of Ivy Tech uh, and its position in the state. And really, when you think about it, it's remarkable how the system itself has transformed. I remember when I first started as news director at WFIU many years ago, it really wasn't a community college system per se. It was something a little bit different, almost like a vocational school. And uh, uh, leadership then had the vision to to make it a, a community college system. Um, when you think of the campus that uh, it used to live on, uh, as opposed to where it is now, it's really quite remarkable to think it, uh, how far it's come. How has the role of the community college changed since you've since you started 
20 years ago, 23 years ago? Well, we, we were very much a vocational technical school um, when I started 23 years ago. Uh, we, we were not as, as well-branded uh, as we are now in terms of um, the impact we could make on the state of Indiana, the impact we could have on, on students in the state of Indiana. And it's, it's literally been that transformation from uh, what had been when I first started with the, with the college, we were very much an institution. Um, our, our primary programs were in, were in the te- technology areas. Uh, we had uh, business and computer programs, and we had programs in areas like automotive technology and uh, uh, building trades technology. Uh, back in 1991, we were not even allowed to offer general education classes. It was only as we transformed first into the uh, community college system of Indiana in what was to be a partnership with Vincennes University that um, against all uh, best efforts on both parties' um, uh, efforts uh, and on their parts, you know, just didn't work out. Uh, And and we moved from that into the opportunity to be a a comprehensive community college, to, to have liberal arts programs. Uh, to have all these wonderful transfer programs we have right now to broaden our uh, our degree menus on on our campus, and you mentioned where we you know where we were previously located. When I came to Bloomington, we were at Westbury Village, and I knew Westbury Village because I lived here in the '70s, and I knew uh, Everly Hardware Store was uh, was where uh, some of our academic buildings were. And Joe Bummelberg, who's a former chairperson of our board, one time said that everyone who wants to give you a building is not your friend. And we were, we were located, you know, when I started with the college, we were located in abandoned school buildings and shopping malls and, uh, and storefronts. And now you look, you look at us statewide, and, uh, and, and it's remarkable uh, when you look at the facilities, when you look at the beautiful campuses around the state, when you look at an enrollment of over 160,000 students statewide. Uh, it's, 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 it's been remarkable to be part of that. Has the role of the Ivy of the Bloomington campus of Ivy Tech changed in terms of the constellation? I I am always surprised by what a significant role Bloomington has in that constellation. I was talking with the chancellor up in Fort Wayne, and I always think of Fort Wayne and India sort of the lead lead places, but they were talking about Bloomington and how important it is. Yeah, that's that's an interesting interesting point. Jerry Mosier, who's the new chancellor uh, in, in Fort Wayne, came to us from uh, from out of state. You know, I mentioned that I, I believe we've become a magnet campus, and in, in addition to that, I think what what happened here in the relationship uh, that we had with the university, with Ken Gross Lewis, with Barb Bickelmeyer, with J.T. Forbes, created opportunities not just for the Bloomington campus, but for our system statewide. So these opportunities for students to transfer. Uh, don't happen just here in Bloomington. They happen at our campuses where there's another uh, IU campus. So in Kokomo and South Bend and Fort Wayne and Indianapolis, you know, those doors were opened uh, uh, everywhere, everywhere in our system. And I think we do some, um, some rather unique things at our Bloomington campus, and part of that is because of where we are. Uh, each of our campuses is uh, and tries to be and needs to be responsive to the unique needs of its own local communities. And that's why you don't find every program we have here offered at every other Ivy Tech campus. Um, you know, you find some stronger technology programs across the, uh, the auto belt of the state of Indiana in places like Muncie and Anderson and Kokomo. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that, that around the state, they, uh, I believe the other chancellors and the campuses do look to Bloomington and say we do some very unique, very unique things in Bloomington. 
you've you've had a to put it mildly a varied career even though you put in some substantial time at a number of institutions but i mean your expertise and your portfolio includes everything from serving as chief of staff for uh, then senator frank o'bannon uh, when he was minority leader uh, serving numerous roles with the city of Kokomo in personnel and administration, your tenure in with various hats at Ivy Tech. Has there been a strategy in any of this uh, as you proceeded through your career, as you look back where you've been and where you're going? Uh, if you were talking to one of your students now, would you say, this is what I had in mind when I was doing it, this is how you had to plot your career? I, I read one time where if you want to make God laugh, you tell him your plan for your life. <laughs> Uh, so I don't. It, sometimes when uh, when people look at my resume, I, I fear it. It appears I can't hold a job. <laughs> but um, and I and I told uh, Don Doucette, who was provost of our institution a few years back. I said to him one time we were having a discussion about Ivy Tech, and I said, you know, I'm not really from higher education. And and he said, well, how long have you been with the college? And I said, well, at that time, 20 years. And he said, I, I think you're probably from higher education if you've had a 20 year <laughs> career in it. But I think. I think there is some common themes that run through it, I, I would hope. Um, you know, the positions that I've had have all been involved in government or education. I was, I, I was a fifth grade teacher when I first uh, graduated from IU, and I taught middle school for a while. So I've been involved in government, uh, in education. And I think, you know, throughout those those careers, whether it was when I was uh, the personnel director for the city of Kokomo and we created the opportunity for employees to, uh, where we would pay their tuition, you know, if they wanted to go to college. I mean, I, 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 I can see ties. If, if you say, did I plot this out and did I know I was going to go from teaching fifth grade to retiring as chancellor uh, of a community college? Um, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't exactly plot that out. But um, one of the... Um, one of the musical selections I brought in, and I told you by email yesterday that I'm not very deep, uh, <laughs> is the Rolling Stones, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And uh, and the reason that um, has significance for me is, is there have been many times in my career, uh, I ran for mayor of Kokomo in 1991, but by the fact I'm sitting here, you can tell how that turned out for me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's been significant to me throughout my career that, that in my life, the things I thought that I wanted... Uh, it turned out that, uh, that that where I end up proved to be much better. I hadn't realized that you'd run for, for the mayor's office in Kokomo, and I wanted to ask, you're stepping into a, a number, uh, another appointed position uh, as the deputy mayor of, of Bloomington. Do you have any lingering inclinations to run for a political office? No. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled that uh, Mayor Cruzan's asked me to be part of his administration, and I, um, uh, I want to support uh, the mayor. I want to help the departments. I want to make uh, we love this community. My family loves this community. I want to help make it a better place for all of us to live. But I don't have any desire to run for political office. You, but you have a long heritage uh, of an interest in politics. I mean, you taught political science, and 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 you did advise. Uh, um, then Senator O'Bannon, and I'm sure uh, any number of other figures, and you've sp spoken frequently about uh, the effect of uh, 1968 on your life, uh, the deaths of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy, and you worked on the Kennedy campaign, as I as I result as I recall. Uh, how do you get your political fix? I, I think I can tell you where it came from. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family. 
Um, you know, my parents were both uh, Depression era uh, children. Uh, I grew up in a in a home where, um, you know, Franklin Roosevelt uh, had been revered. Um, until I was 12, I thought the two political parties were the Democrats and the damn Republicans. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I just grew up in a home where uh, we, we talked about politics and we talked about it as something noble. Uh, George McGovern was one of our guests at our O'Bannon Institute a few years ago, and he said something that really struck me. He said that, um, I, think, I think he said his father was a Methodist minister, and he said he thought the two highest callings in life were the ministry and public service. And I think, you know, when I look back uh, at my own interest in how it evolved, I was a, um, an eighth grader when John Kennedy ran for president, uh, came from a Catholic family. You know, we followed that. I, I delivered newspapers, and uh, we lived in Wabash at the time. And I folded the newspapers, the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette, folded them on the floor of the police station before I left to deliver them on my morning route. I have to pause and ask, why the police station? Well, that's where they were delivered. The, the papers were dropped off at the police station, and I would take them in and sit in the lobby and fold my papers, get on my bike, and go deliver them. So through that year, I would follow John Kennedy's primary victories. I mean, I'd sit in the police station and read the read the paper, and uh, and, it, and it was a big deal in my family, um, as it was for a lot of Catholic families in 1960 when John Kennedy was elected. Um, I came to IU and as a student got involved in the Students for Kennedy movement in 1968. Uh, and so it's just been something I've always felt. Uh, I've always thought it was noble to be involved in public service. And I've always thought political participation was part of public service. Do you still maintain that optimism optimism about the political process? A lot of folks would find that hard to hold on to in the current environment. Well, I think, I think institutions and processes sometimes have flawed individuals involved with them. Um, you know, when I, when I think about various institutions, be it the um, the, the, the Catholic Church, and I'm not poking any barbs there, the Catholic Church government. You know, sometimes flawed individuals are involved in positions and institutions. That doesn't mean uh, that we lose our—it doesn't mean we have to lose our respect and affection for the institutions. And yes, um, you know, the political process uh, today has some rather strident voices involved in it. Uh, but I'm not about to give up on the on the process or the institutions because uh, some voices are strident right now. So you think that, um, despite the uh, the gnashing of teeth and the rending of garments about gridlock in Washington and and impasses and the impossibility of getting anything done, this too shall pass. I'm I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, there's you know there's there are always pendulums. Uh, in life, and you know, the pendulum swings one way and it swings the other. I, I think what would be um, tragic would be if people uh, gave up on the process uh, because they don't happen to like what's going on right now. I think I think that's why more people should become involved in it. We mentioned briefly uh, 1968, the effect of that year uh, on you. Um, you were, uh, and have mentioned often, that you were in Indianapolis when uh, Robert Kennedy announced that Martin Luther King had been shot. How did that year affect you, and how do you maintain your optimism after a year like that? Yeah, it's interesting. When I talk about being in that park in Indianapolis, I sometimes feel like I'm Forrest Gump. 
you know, I, I claimed to have been various places or witnessed various things, but I was with three other friends, three other IU friends, all involved with the Students for Kennedy movement. We'd driven up to Indianapolis that night because uh, uh, then Senator Kennedy was going to open his campaign headquarters that evening in Indianapolis. So uh, Bill White, who was a friend of mine from um, high school days, and two other fellows drove up in Bill's 1963 Chevy convertible and headed for the campaign headquarters and were, were redirected to this park in Indianapolis. And Robert Kennedy arrived and told the crowd who was there for a political rally, by and large, that Martin Luther King had been shot. Uh, so, um, you know, I just happened to be a witness to that particular history. But, but you know, that year was so transformative for me because I had, I had come to the IU campus as a junior from, um, uh, from the Kokomo Extension campus. At that time, the other the regional campuses were called extensions. You could only go for two years. You had to come to Bloomington to finish your degree. So I was coming from a fairly, you know, population might have been 50,000 in Kokomo at the time, very much an automotive uh, labor community uh, to, uh, to Bloomington in the fall of 1967. And the Bloomington campus was, you know, as involved as the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus or Berkeley in the anti-war movement. Uh, Guy Lofman, local attorney, was running for student body president as, as the, uh, representing the, um, the uh, Reform Party. The pro- I think it was Progressive Reform Party. We called them green baggers because they all wore uh, army knapsacks. Guy had long hair and a beard, if I recall correctly. <laughs> You know, IU was going to the Rose Bowl eventually that year. You know, and all that was caught up in this, in the anti-war sentiment. I mean, there were so many things going on. Um, Lyndon Johnson announced in March of that year that he was not going to seek re-election. Uh, Bobby Kennedy entered that race. Uh, some of us became then involved. Many had been involved in Gene McCarthy's campaign up to that point. Uh, I became involved in the Kennedy campaign. We used to go to... Um, Indianapolis on weekends in school buses and uh, canvas neighborhoods for the Kennedy campaign and then go back to Braybuff Catholic High School and sleep on the gym floor all night and get up the next morning and canvas Indianapolis and get back on the bus and come back on Sunday night. Wow. You know, Martin Luther King was assassinated in April. Um, you know, Bobby Kennedy uh, two months later in, in June. So, yes, yeah, certainly that's a, that was a transformative year in my life. My best friend, uh, Steve Daly who's the chancellor at our Kokomo campus. And I know you've got a transformer up there, so he can, he's probably cringing that I just called him my best friend. And he's often said if he could find another one, he'd dump me. Uh, Steve was in Vietnam. as a, He was in the army in Vietnam, and I was living in Wilkie Quad, and we wrote letters uh, back and forth constantly. And he would actually call me from Vietnam from the post locator's office at the Tonsonute Air Force Base. So I'd, my phone would ring in Wilkie Quad at 5 in the morning, and it would be Steve calling me from Vietnam. And <laughs> we'd have these lively conversations about the anti-war movement and, uh, and his role, you know, in the, in the military. And so, yeah, that was a, just a um, transformative year in my life. I want to get to that, uh, too, the folks who've been uh, exemplars in your life. But for right now, I want to remind folks that uh, you're listening to Profiles on WFIU. And depending upon when you hear this broadcast, he's either the outgoing chancellor at the Ivy Tech campus in Bloomington or the incoming deputy mayor of the city of Bloomington. And we're very pleased to have him on the program today. You're listening to Profiles. And we should uh, mention we ask our guests on this program 
to uh, provide some musical selections that reflect their interests, their history, their ideas, or just their likes and dislikes. You mentioned the Rolling Stones. Shall we play that one? Sure. And why did you pick it? Sometimes you can't always get what you want, but you just might find you get what you need. Welcome back to Profiles. I'm Will Murphy, and our guest today is uh, John Weichardt, for many years the uh, chancellor of the Bloomington Ivy Tech campus and had uh, a a long career with uh, Ivy Tech before that. He's stepping into a new role as deputy mayor of the uh, city of Bloomington, and we're very pleased to have him uh, on our program today. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Uh, we talked a little bit the first part of this uh, program about some of the exemplary figures in your life, Martin Luther King, uh, the Kennedy brothers, uh, some others, uh, political figures. But I wonder if we can turn to the personal a little bit. Are there folks who have been influential in your life uh, on a personal level that we might not recognize as as household names, but they really had an effect on you? You know, I think back to um, when I when I first started at, um, at IU at the Kokomo campus, there was a professor, uh, his name was B.R. Davidson, and he taught political science. He'd, he was a former judge in Howard County. I, I think it was in B.R. Davidson's political science classes that I, that I realized there was um, more to going to school than just receiving information and regurgitating it back out later. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly still look back, and gosh, that's been 50 years ago, and think about B.R. Davidson. Um, I mentioned um, Steve Daly earlier, Steve's father, uh, who for 30 years I called him Pop. I lost my father when I was 30, and so I thought of Steve's dad as my father for the 30 years I had him before he passed away. I mean, he was truly a, a father figure to me. Frank O'Bannon was was the most decent person uh, I've ever met in my working life, and certainly the most decent person I've ever met in politics. Uh, one of my favorite Frank O'Bannon stories, to, and it kind of sums up, I think, Frank, was that uh, he was at the Indiana Democratic Editorial Association meeting that they had every year at French Lick and what's now the Resort Hotel. And Mary Beth Schneider, reporter for the Indianapolis Star, wrote that she saw him in the gift shop in line while he was governor, in line with everybody else. And she asked him what he was doing, and he said, well, he he and Judy's anniversary was coming up, and he needed to get her a card. And she glanced and said, well, Governor, you have two cards. And he said, well, she's been busy, and I didn't know if she had time to get me one. <laughs> and uh, but that was just the kind of, kind of person he was. I mean, his his father had been uh, in in uh, elected office, and uh, you know Frank served in the wilderness for years as the minority leader uh, in the Senate, but was respected by everyone. 
Joe Kernan. Uh, I, I first met Joe Kernan when Joe was the city controller in South Bend. And uh, Joe, Joe became a friend over the years, and I always admired him. Um, Jerry Lampkin, who was president of, uh, of Ivy Tech, gave me every opportunity I've had with the college. I mean, I was hired by the college when, when he was president. Uh, he's, he's been a big part, of, big part of my life. And he is a, a fellow, I think, of uh, someone who had a transformative vision of what the, what the system of Ivy Tech might become. I mean, President Lampkin could go into any community in the state of Indiana, and he knew people and could call them by name. Uh, he knew he knew the communities. Uh, he he survived. I forget how many governors. And you know, in Ivy Tech, you have to remember uh, Ivy Tech's board of trustees are all appointed by the governor. So that means that the president of the institution has to have political skills. And uh, you know he was a he was a great survivor, and he really brought this institution from. Um, remember, in 1963, we were created with the mission uh, that we were not allowed to own buildings, uh, award degrees, and we had fifty thousand dollars to start a college. And that was what Jerry Lampkin inherited. And today, we're a six hundred million dollar a year budgeted institution with. 14 regional campuses and I think 75 learning sites and 160,000 students and awarding associate degrees and it's uh, yeah that's been it's been amazing what he's witnessed. As you look at these people that you've <clears throat> spoken about, when I think of of Frank O'Bannon and um, uh, Joe Kernan, uh, who I knew very briefly, sort of toward the end of their tenures, they just seem such radically different individuals to me in terms of their management style. That I think of Joe Kernan as kind of very funny and kind of uh, punches you in the face just to get your attention uh, in, a, in an affable way. Uh, as you say, Frank O'Bannon, a very sort of avuncular figure, almost uh, very soft-spoken. And, um, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about the varieties of management styles. I mean, you, you've, you've worked in various capacities in city government and in, in legislative uh, uh, affairs. Uh, and now in education, uh, what do you pick up from these guys in terms of management? Well, I think in, in any of those environments, city government, uh, certainly the, the state government with the legislature and, and the governor. Um, and, and the reason I never think of politics negatively is, um, and why I think politics in my background then it has served me well in my position, is that Anytime somebody says to me, boy, I don't like politics, I, I always say, really? Do um, you belong to a church? How big's your family? How, how, do you decide, <laughs> how do you decide where you're going to have Thanksgiving dinner? And normally somebody will say, well, my brother's the most influential, so if I call my older brother, he tends to organize things. And I say, well, that's called politics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's about consensus building. Uh, it's about understanding that compromise is critically important. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, uh, of, of leadership, um, it's about providing strong direction. And uh, I think all of these figures in my political involvement all, all had those skills and those abilities. Can we speak of the, of the folks behind the scenes in your life, uh, uh, your wife and your kids? How have they influenced you in what you do? Oh, in fear that Linda's listening, she influences everything that I do. <laughs> you know, I... I I don't say this often enough, but L Linda has permitted me to do all the things that, that I do. 
uh, Linda was Linda had her own career. She had her own career. She was a, the assistant principal at a middle school in Kokomo when I had the opportunity to come here. And if Linda had said, "Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give give up, you know, this," then I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have come here. And and so she has always been uh, a, a partner and has been so willing uh, to take the risk we've taken together. You know, uprooting from Kokomo, moving to Bloomington. Um, she gave up her her work for a number of years. Recently, went back and taught for a couple of years, and now now she's retired as well. Uh, so obviously, critically important. My my um, I, I have three adult children. Uh, my uh, oldest daughter uh, lives in Kokomo. Uh, she's married, has has two children, has my two granddaughters. My uh, oldest son uh, lives here in Bloomington. And as the proprietor of the, uh, I'll put, put in a plug for the Bloomington Guitar and Amp store on uh, West Kirkwood. And my youngest son was uh, just named the development director for the city of Kokomo. So he's he told me that he's he's walking he's walking into a building now where he has an office where when he was uh, two years old he used to play in my office. <laughs> so uh, when when I was there, so uh, I con- I'm in contact with them constantly. Um, everything, everything I do in my life, I talk to them about. So yeah, they're, I mean, I, my family's everything to me. Are any of them bitten by the political bug that you have? Well, what interests me most about watching them is that they grew up in a political environment and especially my older children. We, we had in our home, um, a, a congressman state legislators, mayors. I mean, the, the mayor was their godfather. The sheriff, not for anything wrong, just because he was at our, <laughs> at our home. And so they've grown up in, a, in, a, in an environment where not, they're not intimidated by politics or elected officials. They're very comfortable in that environment. Uh, my, my, son, uh, my oldest son was involved uh, in 2000 in the Nader campaign what I was really surprised about was he asked my permission if it was okay. You know, clearly, <laughs> Did you want to handicap him in some way, or was that a? Because uh, that was a very divisive sort of campaign within the Democratic Party. It was, it was, but uh, so was the Bobby Kennedy campaign in 1968. You know, it's all part of the part of the learning curve. The and difference was, being, Bobby Kennedy had a chance. Yes. Yeah. And you know, there's some who might argue that if Ralph Nader had not been involved in 2000, the Florida vote would have gone a different way. So some of us have never forgiven him for that. That's <laughs> true. But yeah, there. And you know, my youngest son's involved in city government right now. And um, Andy Jacobs, who was a congressman for years representing Indianapolis, always said, um, "Good government is good politics." And so you know, my son's involvement in government in in Kokomo, uh, you you can't separate. You just can't separate the two. I'll remind our listeners that uh, they're listening to Profiles on WFIU, and our guest is John Weikart, stepping away from his role as the chancellor of the Bloomington campus of Ivy Tech, stepping into the role of uh, the number two guy with the city of Bloomington as deputy mayor. There's very little that he hasn't done. In fact, uh, we're going to be getting to his uh, stellar uh, theater career uh, in just a moment. Uh, I do want to also note, and I feel uh, uh, remiss in this, that he is the um, winner of the City of Bloomington's Martin Luther King Jr. Legacy Award in 2012. And I think that's worth mentioning precisely because, as we've talked about in this past hour, uh, 
Dr. King was such a seminal figure in your life, I think. Uh, but let's do start off this last segment of the program by talking about your uh, theater career. Some folks may not know, but you're the star of such productions as uh, The Life and Death of Sneaky Fitch and uh, any number of other stage productions. How did you get into theater? Well, the, the, the Life and Death of Sneaky Fitch opened and closed on the same night in 1966 <laughs> at the uh, <laughs> Havens Auditorium at Indiana University Kokomo, but that was a student production. Robert Hennon was the uh, uh, faculty member who uh, put together the, the IU Kokomo uh, theater group. And I actually went to an audition with a uh, good friend of mine. Uh, his name's Jack Dwyer, and he was going to read for a part. And while I was there, uh, Mr. Hennon asked if I'd read for a part, too. And I did, and you know, just on a lark. So I was cast as Sneaky Fitch in the production of The Death and Life of Sneaky Fitch. The title role. The title role. Wow. Yeah. yeah sneak, and, and the storyline was... out. Yeah. The, sto- the storyline was it was an old western town and Sneaky Fitch was the town drunk and they thought he was dead and they were presiding over his funeral at the uh, cemetery and he wasn't dead. He was just passed out in the you know, drunken stupor. So he flipped the lid off the coffin and said, you know, what's going on here? So they assumed he'd come back to life. So from that point on, the townspeople were very afraid of of, uh, of Sneaky Fitch. Even the gunslinger in town was afraid of Sneaky Fitch. And, uh, and of course, Sneaky was, first he was just amazed, well, why are these people so afraid of me? And then he began to take advantage of that. And then at the end, the good townspeople shot and killed him. So anyway, it was a... <laughs> That was my that was my first uh, my my first uh, theatrical experience, <laughs> and the roles uh, or the talents involved in theater versus uh, um, university admi- and uh, community college administration not entirely dissimilar. Well, they're actually they are, uh, and 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 here's the example I would give when I was. Um, our first Ivy Tech production, it's almost two years ago now, was uh, Waiting for Lefty, Clifford, Clifford Godot, or uh, Odette play. And um, there were, I think, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 uh, parts, uh, acting parts. And um, so I was asked if I would, you know, it was our very first production. Would I, would I be interested? Would I try out? So I, I, I tried out, and I was given a part. And, and then I began to question because there were a mixture of IU and Ivy Tech students in the production. You wouldn't have known which students were from which institution. But there was one old man in the in the production. I was like, well, how did I get cast as the old man? I mean, why am I old old Doc Barnes? I mean, how did how did this happen? Uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was my first return to the stage after a forty five year hiatus. Um, and but you know, people would say, well, you know, this this got to be so easy for you because you speak in public all the time. But uh, the fact of the matter is, when I speak in public, I'm just being me. You know, when you're when you're in a play, you're being you're somebody else. And uh, uh, but so it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. I mean, I'm really glad that I did it. I had a great opportunity to be around our students. But it was it was quite it's quite different than, than acting and public speaking are are two quite different things. Well, if I could just point out for the moment that when you think of a, an administrative leader, an educational leader. You often think of a very dignified, respectable, possibly restrained figure. When one thinks of John Weichart, that image might come up, but what might also come up is a guy wearing a wizard's robe and leading folks in a spelling bee. It seems like you've let your hair down and uh, you use that theatrics uh, in your in your capacity as administrator. 
that's that's probably a fair a fair assessment. <laughs> but um, in my mind, in my opinion, you know, the spelling bee, um, the foundation of Monroe County School spelling bee. Well, it's a community event, and you know, we're a community college, and I, I've I've always thought it was very important for us to be integrated, assimilated into the Bloomington community and to be involved in whatever we needed to be involved in, in in support of our community. And it's always been easier for me to do that. Well, I've often pointed out, like the spelling bee, if you, people are more than happy to let you look foolish if you'll you'll let them do that. (laughs) So, you know, I've had the good fortune over the last several years in the spelling bee to go in various costumes. And I've always had uh, an assistant with me. Jeffrey Allen has played that part for the last several years. Jeffrey's our executive director for our Center for Lifelong Learning. He's got the hard part. He's got to learn how to pronounce the words and what the real definitions are. I just make up silly sentences for him and wear costumes. So, so that's 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 the fun part of uh, of the role I've had. Right. As you step away from the chancellorship of the Bloomington campus, what would you like to see your successor finish or take to the next level? What's the general status of the campus overall? Well, I think I think the status of the campus um, is is obviously in, in excellent shape. I'm I'm so proud of the faculty and the staff um, and the students at our campus. And I've worked at a number of Ivy Tech campuses, uh, Kokomo, uh, South Bend. At one time, I traveled the state with various administrative roles. Uh, assigned by the president, and this is a very unique campus. The um, the respect the employees have for each other, and that that in, that means faculty, staff, everyone. The collaborations, the working relationships, the uh, we're all in this together attitude. And I told the campus when I told them I was leaving that they have created a culture at this campus, and it's it's a very unique culture in our system. And we do some unique things in our system. We have four centers, five centers of excellence in our system that don't exist anywhere else. And we have we have created this together. And I, I said to them, Ivy Tech is bigger than me. Uh, I don't think it's bigger than all of them. And that it will be up to them. They're, they're going to have two choices. Uh, when, I, when I'm succeeded by someone at some point, they can either say, thank God, now we don't have to do that stuff that other guy made us do. <laughs> or, or they can say, this is part of the culture of our campus, and we believe in this, and they will sustain it. And I'm confident that they'll do that. You know, what's left undone, uh, through the uh, good graces of the county, we now have acquired a second building on our campus or near adjacent to our campus, what had been formerly called the Payne Building, which is now going to ironically be the School of Nursing. So the School of Nursing's <laughs> asked that we please refer to it as the former Payne Building or something <laughs> something other than that. You know, the county, through a $1.6 million bond issue, uh, is providing that building to us. So we're going to you know move into the School of Nursing, and by the, the start of the next academic year, we'll be located there. Our Phase two construction of the County and Steve Ferguson building, we'll have groundbreaking for that uh, in the spring, and that'll be ready for occupancy in the in the 2015-16 academic year but uh but by that i mean january of 2016 the spring semester of that academic year so that's a project yet to be completed the design work is all completed the architecture's work is all completed so that project will be bid here in the next couple of months and groundbreaking in the in the spring so that that's a project you know to be completed but you know the fact of the matter is there should always be something going on so 
if I had waited till there was nothing going on, that would have meant I should have left a long time ago. Right. If we weren't doing anything, then I shouldn't have been here. Somebody else should have been here that was making things happen. And I, and I, I said when I left that I read once where it's better to leave five years uh, too early than five days too late. And I've seen people who stayed longer than they should have stayed. And I, what I think is that somebody will be able to step into this position and they're going to meet a campus that says these are the things that are important to us and this is and we want you to lead us forward in these things that are important to us. So I think somebody's going to be very fortunate to come into this situation, not because of what I've done, but because of the faculty and the staff they're going to uh, inherit and, and, and how they want to sustain the culture that they've created for the Bloomington campus. Now, you're in your, uh, I'll say late 40s. I'm using base 15 here. Why not step away? I mean, you've, you've done more than your share of, of public service over the years. And now you're stepping into another public service role uh, when a lot of folks would be thinking about you know, spending time with the wife and, and, and maybe doing some traveling and that sort of thing. Why step into a new role? I'm in excellent health. Um, we love this community. We could do those things that you're that you're talking about, but I'm confident that I can contribute. I want to contribute uh, for you know two more years, four more years, whatever whatever that turns out to be. And it's it's um, it's exciting to me to take that in a little bit different direction. In in many ways, I started my. Uh, what I believe is my true professional governmental career in city government, and to kind of loop back around here at the end and have an opportunity once again. I love how city government works. Uh, I really respect the the uh, folks that Mark Cruzan has surrounded himself with. I've been able to work with many of them over the last years in various collaborations the college has had with the city. I really look forward to working with them. And I, and I hope I can bring something... Uh, because of my experiences, uh, I hope I can bring something that's helpful to them. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's um, it's it, it's going to be ex- it's it's exciting for me. It's exciting for my family. Uh, so it's um, I'm eager to get started. I have to say, and I'm being candid here. When I heard the news that John Weichart would be the deputy mayor of the city of Bloomington, my first reaction was, "You are not the first guy I would think of for a number two position." Um, so how does that how does that work? You go from being the guy who, in effect, calls the shots at least at this campus, to being a guy who has to say, "I'm not the guy in charge, but I'm helping him do what he does." Well, um, a- actually, the mayor asked me if I'd be comfortable doing that, and uh, and I, I assured him that I would be. I've always had a boss. Sometimes I pretend that I don't, uh, but but even even with the general autonomy I've had as the chancellor of a regional campus, you know I still work in a system. I still report to someone who sets direction for the for the college generally. You know, if you think about my my background, chief of staff for a Senate Minority Leader, personnel director for a mayor, uh, you know what whatever it may have been, I, you know ten years experience uh, with the college prior to coming here, working for one of the college's vice presidents. I don't have any level of discomfort about that at all. I'm, um, I think there are things I can do. I think the mayor agrees there are things I can do to be supportive of the mayor and his goals uh, and helpful to the, those who lead his various departments. And um, I, so I don't, I don't have any, any second thoughts at all about second place. 
Everybody uh, who steps into a leadership position um, brings their own set of skills and talents and inclinations to, to the job. What is it that you're bringing to the table in terms of, of uh, your talents, your skills, the particular skill set? Well, you know, again, I've, I would hope that, um, that in over 40 years in various administrative capacities in government uh, and higher education, that there are skill sets that are transferable. I, I said that um, when I came to the college from government and from politics, I think one of the strengths I brought to my position with the college was that background. And I, uh, I, I've jokingly said that the reason I want to go back to city government is I want to get out of politics <laughs> in higher education. And that's not, I used to use that line in reverse, you know, why I went to higher education. but. I would hope that my administrative background, you know, leading an organization, that there are skill sets that are going to they're going to transfer to helping to lead this one. And and again, it's been my political background that I think has served me well in uh, in my position as chancellor. And, and I don't mean political from you know an R and D perspective. I mean political from the standpoint that recognizing that every organization. You can view every organization through various lenses, be they hierarchical or human resources or uh, structural or a political lens. Every organization can be viewed through a political lens. So, so I'm just looking forward to sitting down with, with people um, uh, that I've been working with in another capacity over these last many years and putting some things together and uh, making things work. Can we talk a little bit about how this, this decision came about? I assume it took many months, if not longer than that, for you and Mark Cruzan, who've known each other for years and years and years, to come to this to this understanding of, of what to others outside would seem a fairly surprising arrangement. Yeah, possibly it does look... Well, I'm sure it's surprising to people. Um, it's Mark and I have had a conversation in the last week that we can't even pinpoint a date on a calendar when we both said, yeah, let's do this. Let's Let's agree to do this. Uh, Mark and I, over the years, have had uh, lunches fairly regularly, talked about a number of things in those lunches. I've known Mark since he was in the legislature and I was in the legislature. And and at some point uh, over the last uh, many months, I began to talk to him or mention to him that I was considering retiring, uh, considering, uh, you know, leaving the camps, although I hadn't made any decision to do that. And like many things in life, you know, timing is important. And so at some point in those conversations, we began to talk about this. As, it, as I made a decision with my family that it was time for me to, to leave the college, uh, then, I, then obviously those conversations stepped up with Mark. And Mark one day said to me, well, let's, let's talk about this job more specifically. Let's take a look at, at what, what this job entails and whether you'd be interested in doing this. So uh, it, it, towards the end, it, it sped up. And at the time, I talked to, uh, I met with President Snyder on November 11th and told him I intended to retire. And then uh, the mayor announced that uh, he was going to appoint me to be the deputy mayor. So things obviously speeded up after November 11th. Now, you could. You're, you're retiring on the 15th of January, starting your new position on the 16th of, of uh, January. You don't want to take a day or two off just to kind of think about things, maybe relax a little bit, uh, I don't know, read a book? 
Well, there's 15 hours. I mean, from 5 o'clock on one day to 8 o'clock the next, I don't know how much time a person needs to relax and take time off. But I read books now all the time. And, and uh, Linda and I are, have an opportunity to do a little traveling before the, before the 15th of January, so we're going to get a break. Well, and, I, and I, I said that, you know, when I looked at Linda's list for me in retirement and Mark's list for me in work, I took Mark's list. It looked, looked like it would be easier. <laughs> And that's what we call in the business a closer. Let's end it there. <laughs> John Weikart has been our guest on Profiles. John, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. I'm Will Murphy. For all of us at WFIU, thanks for joining us. And to close out the program, uh, let's uh, take a little music. What have you picked? Uh, My Girl by The Temptations. And, and what's, the just, what's the rationale? I, I have uh, two daughters, and um, uh, they're 25 years apart in age. And in each of their cases, when they were little, I, I would sing My Girl to them um, as, I, as I rock them or walk them or, or whatever. And um, when my older's, oldest daughter was married uh, several years ago, uh, My Girl was the song we danced to the, uh, at the wedding that, sh- that uh, the father and daughter danced to at the wedding. So it's, uh, it's a special song about my two daughters. The program you just heard was recorded in December of 2013. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. James Gray is the producer. The studio engineer and radio audio director is Michael Paskash. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.